0: Fantastic. All right. Here we go. Here we go. We are live.
1: Andy Bano, Good to see you, sir. Hey, it's good to be seen. <laughs> John, thanks for having you. me.
0: <laughs> I, I have to give a shout out to, to some of the folks who have already tuned in. Uh, Jacob Bax and Allocated Brain. Yes, this is truly a live stream. This is not just a premiere. Uh, and uh, really appreciate y'all for tuning in. Uh, hey, for, for those folks who may not know who Andy Bano is, who is Andy Bano?
1: What's your, what's your um, quick little
0: uh, elevator sp- uh, pitch as to who you are?
1: I am um, I'm Andy Bano. I'm I make propaganda art to save the human race when I'm not doing that these days, uh, I am now leading a transportation engineering program um, for the city of Richmond. But for the last last four years, I was freelancing as a storyteller for people in the built environment. And then uh, all of my career has been in in and around transportation in some way. I started as a traffic engineer, not knowing what I wanted to do when I grew up and very organically ended up, um, developing this extreme bias for walk-friendly, bike-friendly infrastructure. And that just, uh, that became a very important thread in all the work that I was doing planning and, and engineering and public engagement. And, um, yeah, so I've, I've enjoyed this. I. I, I genuinely love this stuff. I'm a people watcher. I like the built environment. I like watching how people move through space. Uh, it, it interests me. Um, and so all of my work has to do either or has had to do either with directly planning and designing intersections and, uh, that sort of thing, the mobility stuff, or it's been on the storytelling side, either, um, on behalf of clients or for me, uh, words don't stop falling out of my face. So it's either it's doing podcasts, it's writing, it's uh, speaking at events, um, giving presentations to at community meetings, you name it. So I, I want people to be able to enjoy happy, healthy communities. And I know, I know some secrets to get us there. And I know some secrets about why so many people struggle to get there. Yeah, That's a very long, that's a long elevator ride. I don't know how you can tell me how many stories in that building, but that's a pretty, that's uh, a
0: pretty, pretty long one. Yeah. it's a, that's, it's a tall building for sure. Well, hey, shout out to Victor Dover. He's joining us from Coral Gables and uh, Sharon Shaw, uh, also from Richmond, uh, you know, popping in to say, Hey, and, uh, and really excited to to have and happy to have you taking on the new role, this new role in the city and I was blown away and shocked when you posted on LinkedIn that you, you had and me taken both. this role because, uh, the entire time that I've known you, you have not been doing this kind of stuff. And in fact, when I go back and look at your history here, I'm like, okay, okay <laughs> producer of this and like all sorts of stuff. You had a couple of little short time gigs, you know, that were like almost respectable real jobs, um, <laughs> but, uh, I have to go all the way down to 1998 uh, where you were a, a transportation engineer for seven years and seven months, and then also senior project engineer at, uh, at Draper there, Aiden and Associates. Uh, so you actually are a classically
1: trained engineer. Oh, classically trained. I like it. Yeah, um, yeah uh, starting with the Socratic method and <laughs> going all the way through the MUTCD, uh, classically trained transportation engineer. Yeah. Um, So you really, you came
0: from the dark side is what you're saying.
1: (laughs) Yes. And I know that your audience knows, I adore the active towns audience and I know that your audience is very familiar with, um, strong towns. And so for those folks, uh, my, my like thumbnail sketch version for you would be that my backstory is eerily similar to Chuck Marone's that I started as a traffic engineer analyzing intersections and, um, it's not that I, I I didn't study urban planning. A lot, a lot of people that are in this space either studied planning or architecture, or uh, they were in poly poly science and, or communications or something like that and came through advocacy, um, whether it was sustainability or bicycle advocacy, that sort of thing. I ended up here because I truly didn't know what I wanted to do. And traffic made sense. I grew up in the, northern virginia suburbs outside of dc and we know traffic um so starting just analyzing how traffic moves and what's considered good and bad uh when you add lanes when you don't all that sort of thing yeah um yeah i just uh i never along the way thought this is what i'm gonna do forever i just i kept asking questions and i stayed interested in it and here i am over 25 years later, still, uh, still, yeah. still at it. Yeah, yeah,
0: and and I, I, you know, say tongue in cheek, you know, coming in from the dark side, but really, you you understand what it's like to be doing that type of work. Uh, but really, ever since I've known you, you've been fighting hard to try to create more people oriented places and you're passionate about, you know, kind of reversing that, and, you know, just like you said earlier, very similar in terms of uh, the background and story uh, to, you know, the experience with Chuck Marone with Strong Towns. And he, of course, uh, wrote the book of Confessions of a Recovering Engineer and 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 looking at, at that uh, side of it as well. This was literally just from like four hours ago, this image uh, out <laughs> on uh, Twitter here. Um, so this is part of what you were saying is the propaganda art, you know, you're, you're, you're pushing out, um, oftentimes, you know, a huge volume of, of posts and tweets, uh, that are prodding and poking and, and getting people to think differently, or, or maybe I'm putting words in your mouth. Tell me what you, what you're doing and why you're doing
1: it. Uh, I'm, I am trying to brainwash, uh, so you're on the right direction. Um, <laughs> I, brainwashing in the sense that I want to cleanse people from the bad stuff that's gotten in there. I want to I scrub yeah. around in all of the nooks and crannies. Uh, so the short is I want to, I want to help people see things because there's, I'm I'm blanking on which book this, uh, this idea or where I learned this idea, but there's, there's something that happens in the human mind that when you learn something that really sticks with you and it feels transformational. It's a big, big thing that you've learned. There's this tendency to think, man, how did I not see that before? How did I not know this? I must be the last person to know this. You just assume that you were the last one, whether that's not a mark of intelligence or dumbness. It just, you feel that way. You feel like, oh, I can't believe I I didn't know this. And then you forget that a whole bunch of other people probably don't know that thing that you just learned. So whether that's about, um, well, any subject, uh, what, what a phrase the whole nine yards means or how many minutes in a baseball game, uh, trick question, perhaps, um, just any, anything that you learn, um, you forget that you're not the last person on earth. And so, uh, I, I want people to learn these things about, uh, how, how transportation is analyzed what's considered good what's considered bad how departments of transportation make decisions how how land use is organized the way it is why homes and businesses are scattered around the way they are um and you can go to any library or encyclopedia or wikipedia you can dig into any of these kinds of things but most of us are not going to spend that kind of time and energy on any topic let alone many topics and so i enjoy taking little nuggets uh one thing at a time and and sharing them hopefully in ways that provoke a reaction and i truly do not care which reaction it is I will say I love positive reactions because like any human being who likes to smile, I want to smile more. And so if I can get if I can spread joy, then yay me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Also from today, (laughs) about six hours ago. uh, Meanwhile, there's a special breed of cyclists claiming physically separated bike roads are dumb and or dangerous. Yeah, you do like poking fun at, at people and trying to get a rise.
1: This is, um, I, I don't know if I've been on a tear recently on this, but this is this has become one of my recent soapbox issues because yeah. uh, depending on the people group, I won't call myself a cyclist. Uh, I know I'm not the first person to say this. I'm just, yeah. I, I truly am not. I'm not, I'm, I'm in trouble if I get a flat. I'm that lousy of a person on a bike. I, I'm the, like the equivalent of the driver who's the, a light goes off on the dashboard. and You're like, what's that idiot like? Like, it reminds me that I'm an idiot. That's me on a bike. You're an yeah. idiot, Andy. Uh, why is this handlebar uh, sliding around the wrong? way? I don't know. I'm an idiot on a bike. Um, but there are there are these factions of um, cyclists who sometimes they mean well, sometimes they don't. Uh, And I'm not a mind reader, so I don't pretend to know who's who, but these, these ideas that are born out of John Forrester, the, um, vehicular, um, cyclist guru from decades ago, well, started decades ago, died not that long ago. Um, these ideas that are, that come out of him that are all about treating a person on a bike, the same kind of way that you would treat a vehicle, uh, Part of it makes sense, a lot of it just doesn't. Um, The part that makes sense is there are, there should be some kind of rules so that you expect when a person is out in space, how is this person likely to behave? Like that kind of expectation, understanding what may happen or what's possible to happen. That stuff's good. Um, To think that an eight year old or a 15 year old or an 80 year old or anything in between, A woman in a dress on her way to a Christmas party. Like all those people could ride bikes at any given time. And to think that those people should be treated the same way as uh, a Toyota Camry or an F-150 is just dumb. It it just is. And when you start thinking of bicycles as vehicles, you end up, if you're an engineer or, or a planner, you end up laying out a transportation system that expects people to behave in a way that a human beings just not going to behave, at least for the most part, humans aren't going to behave that way. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's funny. Another, another post from you, uh, like seven hours ago, uh, is, you know, these adorable little, uh, bike lane sweepers and vacuums, uh, that we, we so often need in our cities because many of the cities, uh, one of the the things, the excuses that comes up is that oh well you know how how are we going to maintain these protected and separated bikeways etc uh, because they're going to get debris they're going to you know have leaves and and blah 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 uh, yeah they make these. <laughs> They exist. And, and, many, and, of the, and in, many of them are electric too. So. <laughs> that's true. Yep. Yeah.
1: And this one, I found this by accident. This, I didn't even take this picture. This is right off of Google street view in yeah. in Richmond, Virginia, where I am. Uh, and I mean, there are plenty of examples. This is anybody that's, that takes the time to uh, get on social media to attack or the internet to attack the idea of, um, cleaning bike lanes can't be bothered to take the extra 10 or 30 seconds to to see does it exist is there yeah. a such thing as a yeah. small street sweeper um well and 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 to your point it, it didn't take long for for somebody to reply and
0: be like uh oh well now we're going to have to run these in addition to normal street sweep sweepers it's going to be extra labor extra noise <laughs> extra emissions and the." You know the eye roll I could just see as you're typing this out. Ah, yes, the old replacing car trips with a bicycle trips will increase emissions, which is another one of the classic sort of uh, NIMBY hater types of responses that we get.
1: Yeah, there's oh, and I see the other one up above, John Forrester's uh, legacy. Oh yeah, I, I mean, for those who who can't tell, I'm not a fan, uh, and I don't take kindly to. Th- to experts past or present uh, or future, if if I uh, ever end up with a time machine and can jump forward, people that that take this stuff lightly, uh, I, there's a difference between taking something lightly and making light of it. I will make light of horrible things right. um, like this kind of infrastructure or any el- any other thing, but taking it lightly in the sense that uh, it doesn't really matter uh, how wide these areas are if, how, how the intersection is designed um whether or not people ride on the sidewalk or in the street or how wide a, a traveling is because people are going to do what people are going to do like that that sort of person i've got i've got no time or patience for that kind of attitude um because if there's such there's such a life and death uh aspect to this that the people Oftentimes, just don't have the intellectual curiosity to dig into. You don't have to start. I, I don't pretend that everybody, again, like I said before, knows just even beyond the thin surface of all of these topics, let alone one. I mean, I don't. I I barely scratch the depth of how to design bicycle infrastructure as just one example. ADA yeah. ramps. You could you could find a bunch of people that will talk circles around me with ADA ramps, and they'll all they'll know everything, and I'll I'll feel like. Uh, a child. Um, but the design of streets is such a life and death issue to, to put it into somebody like a John Forrester idea where you have, where you treat people who should be wobbly and unpredictable, frankly, on, on a bicycle. Like that's most people, uh, we shouldn't expect them to have to, um, become something that they aren't just so that they don't die. Um, and when you learn a little bit, I mean, this gets back to your your thing earlier about me sharing this stuff uh, online. When you learn a bit about how the direct there's these direct lines between um, street design and driver behavior, street design and bicycling behavior, street design and pedestrian behavior, like what however you're moving through space, the design of the space matters. And. It it sounds so silly to say it out loud. Architects know this when they build a building, of course, how is this room laid out? An interior designer, they understand the lighting, where you expect to put furniture, where you put windows, where you put doors, which way the doors go. All of this stuff has to do with how people through move or move through space. And then it's as if you get outside and then, ah, we're outside now, none of that matters anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So this, that's why these, like, there's this, I, I like to go back and forth between abstract philosophical kind of stuff. And then on the ground, what does that mean? Like the street sweeper, it was a very specific on the ground application of a big idea, uh, about how to treat, um, people on a bicycle or how to expect that they would behave while riding a bicycle.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We got some more uh, folks, uh, uh, chiming in here. Hey, uh, Thanks for joining us, uh, joining us, Stront Kaver and uh, Andrew. Hey, hello. Uh, thanks for joining us from York, UK. It's a, a late evening for you too. And Victor Dover has a question here for us. Uh, he's he's saying, uh, when did Flow replace safety as the first priority? What's up with that? This seems like a rhetorical question, but yeah, I mean, you you, you were working back in the 90s. I'm assuming that Flow was already prioritized over safety um, you know by that time
1: Victor's asking that question because he's a very young man and he knows that uh, <laughs> I have accumulated so many years of experience and wisdom that I can help him out with this one um, <laughs> it's it's for my lifetime it's it's always been the case um, yeah. in fact I learned to appreciate, modern roundabouts through this issue of flow and safety. And, and by asking questions about, um, when like I'm, I'm running this software program that tells me with a letter grade, just like in school, A, B, C, D, or F, if my intersection is good or bad. And when you get the answer, you could change the inputs, like change the number of through lanes, add a turn lane, add two turn lanes. Um, this this is back in the days when this is DOS space so uh took a little bit of time to do this kind of stuff but all of these kinds of inputs um led you to an answer that was about flow like how many cars and trucks are getting through an intersection and it took me a while before um i was involved in a project you know i'm a junior engineer i had studied civil engineering um and it, so back then, the civil engineering was kind of a class in all of the different things. So I had to take physics and steel structures and wood structures. So I took itty bitty amounts of transportation, right. um, I, and which is was, part of, that's long, which is
0: one of the challenges with the profession to begin with, right?
1: Oh. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had no idea. It didn't even occur to me that safety would be something that we were supposed to be responsible for. Uh, and then I was involved in a safety study and I thought, Oh, a safety study. Interesting. Um, what's a safety study? (laughs) I mean, again, truly like a child, what's this, what's that. And, um, we were supposed to collect, uh, crash reports and these came from the state police. And so I had to go through this printed out ream of um of stuff and it it took a bit of connecting the dots to realize oh these i get it i get okay i'm starting to see how driver behavior i'm visualizing myself um reading about the reports of what led to a rear end crash or what end led to a t-bone crash or some kind of um injury or, or fatal crash and it's, it was shocking that these two things were worlds apart where you have a safety study that was basically document how people were getting hurt and then write a summary about it. And then over here in this other part of an office or maybe in a different building, you have a group that's responsible for designing more intersections and roads that are gonna lead to the same types of crashes. Right. Uh, just, just wild. Um, and <laughs> asking questions like, well, why if this is one possible um, crash reduction technique, why don't we try this one? Like FHWA has printed this book and they've got all these things that say these reduce crashes. Why don't we try these? Like here's this thing called a road diet. What's a road diet? Let me look into this. Oh, it's removing lanes. And then there's that balance of or this conflict of, well, wait a second. If you remove lanes, my software tells me that this street's no good anymore. Like this intersection is bad. But I'm looking at this book and it says, the feds have proven you'll save lives. And so there's this crazy conflict that's staring all of the industry in the face yeah. for, for my entire career. And it goes yeah. way before me that you can have an intersection look good on its report card, like come home with good yeah. grades, or you can have it save lives. How about that? That's pretty, that? That's pretty interesting. <laughs>
0: So you're, you're mentioning that book. And then uh, yesterday, the new version, the 11th edition of this book came out, because uh, this is another one of our little uh, sort of thorns in our side, uh, you know, books that are out there that oftentimes uh, transportation engineers, uh, transportation planners will turn to and say, oh, no, 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 we can't do that. It's it's not specifically laid out or da 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 in the MUTCD. Uh, so obviously you, you took your little, little poke at it and, and said, and I know people are already starting to dive in and saying, uh, you know, and, and trying to evaluate some of the good changes that did happen to the MUTCD is as, as well as we know that there's still a lot of stuff in there. That's just head scratchers.
1: It's so the books like this or manuals and design guides like this, um, I, I always have a, a love hate relationship with something like this. And I'm not yet, it just was released yesterday. So I've been, yeah. uh, I've been taking it. Somebody told me today it's like reading the phone book. And they're right. It is it is like reading the phone book. Yeah, you have to pace yourself and find a little chunk, one chunk at a time. Yeah. Um, so I did see some things that were encouraging. Um, I think. So the, the reason why I have a love hate relationship with this is the the hate part comes when it, it I'm I'm being over the top when I say hate I'm truly hate this book, um, but the the downside is when something is so prescriptive this is over a thousand pages and so I don't know how when it started being that fat but it's been that fat for a very very long time, yeah. um, when you have something that's that big with with all of these pages of various specific rules, do this, do this, do this, do that, in this case, do this. It's, it it makes me think of um, me as a kid. I don't think I'm the only kid, especially young boy, who when given a list of rules was like, oh, so I see a gap between these two rules you told me that these are the 10 things that I'm not allowed to do. Well, what about this variation that you never thought of? It's the same thing with a design manual. Not that people are out there looking for a new sign that they can make themselves, but there's always a real world scenario that you couldn't have predicted in a big book like this. And so what I hope happens and there's there's some general language at the beginning and then since it was just published we're just at the start of the feds being able to kind of slightly modify things they already made a couple of corrections to be able to say look big picture we want to keep people safe vision zero is a real thing a a lot of crashes are preventable if they are in fact preventable why are we not preventing them like let's start there let's prevent them and so if the if the kind of starting point this this is why I could love a design guide or a manual if the starting point is how do I take this big thing and use it to save lives or protect people Um, and then if you run into wrinkles along the way or hiccups you if like there should be allowances some kind of loophole that sort of thing Um, what has what has happened for the last many years and throughout my entire career is this book along with the Ashto green book, the policy on geometric design, which is um, kind of the Bible for street design. If this is the Bible for traffic engineering, what happens is with both of those is engineers and planners blame their bad decisions on these books. It doesn't matter that each of the books says, use engineering judgment. You're a smart person. Use this book well. People are like, something happens when you crack open that book. Uh, It's some kind of evil fairy dust comes out of there and just takes hold of people and they cannot do good. I, I right. don't know. I don't know. Well, and, and I think oftentimes it's, it, it, you can't make a,
0: a completely you know blanket statement like this, but I think oftentimes it's just like, they don't want to do that because they know it's going to be difficult. And so they use that as an excuse. It's like, Oh no, no, I can't do that. You know, it, it's like, well, no, you, as to your point, it does say in the front, you know, Use your engineering judgment. Use your professional judgment in in doing this. Um, So Sharon Shaw has a a question, or not a question? She, I guess, it is a question. She's asking about the strong towns uh, crash analysis uh, you know, program that is getting started, and I'll pull that up here on the on the page. And she's asking uh, that it's probably for city DOTS and and departments of uh, public works, and and yeah, I guess it kind of is. Uh, we'll probably have to pose that question to Chuck or have him chime in um, about that. I think the spirit behind doing these. Crash analysis studios uh, for these cities is sort of born out of the frustration that uh, has come about, especially in Springfield, Massachusetts, which was the city and the location and the tragic crash that happened, uh, that was you know really profiled and featured in 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 Chuck's book, Confessions of a Recovering Engineer. Um, So do you know if, if, you know, if if it's, you know, intended for that, or is it intended kind of for the community and then putting pressure on the DOTs and the public
1: works departments? It's, it's probably a yes. And, uh, I do know that these are, um, yeah, I won't speculate. Uh, I, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I do know about this. Uh, and thanks for the question, Sharon, um, It's the kind of this is the kind of program whether it's a uh, Strong Towns program with like the crash analysis tool, which is a it's a great thing. I, the the little bit that I've seen about it um, looks like a fantastic type of program because it's a it's a hands on sort of thing. They're going to be taking that show on the road, um, so it won't just be virtual. Um, but a hands on way of teaching people the details of what goes into safety, pedestrian safety, bicycling safety, like wherever you are as a human being. Um, well, I would even go so far as to
0: say is is just any kind of safety. I mean, a crash right. analysis tool of right. being able to say, um, and I guess, you know, this may be spilling over into your new role with the city of saying, you know, hey, we, we've got a problem over here, guys. We've got this, this intersection right. and we've got a history of crashes. We need to like take a time out and take a step back and you know, kind of in the spirit of doing a crash analysis of this particular area. What, what have we got going on here? And, and of course, if it's like most North American cities, uh, and Richmond is, <laughs> there's a whole lot of strodes out there and there's a whole lot of speed that's going on and a whole lot of overbuilt roads that are there. And so you get your work cut out for you. So talk a little bit about that <laughs> and in relationship to what is your actual role in that new, in this new job?
1: So that it's a perfect segue because that is like vision zero is the reason why I agreed to do this. So I I had been trying to figure out with all this advocacy that I've been doing around like outward, I'm based in Richmond, but outward, Um, whether it's other cities or just uh, online uh, stuff, publishing things that can be used anywhere. I've been in richmond for 20 years and was telling a couple of friends i want to do something here to radicalize people for safety uh i'm doing it elsewhere i want to do it here and right around that time is when this opportunity came up where the person that had been in this role previously retired um about a year ago and so the city was looking for uh, is this an opportunity to think a little bit differently about this role and Richmond right now mayor's office city council um the staff at city hall they're all looking in the direction of vision zero they're all like they're gonna like any anytime you get two or more humans in the same room they're gonna have disagreements but vision zero is the north star and that's true of my work and so we're already aligned in that and so to be able to be able to kind of cut through all of the extra stuff and and look for how okay I understand that this stop sign is crooked on your street or I understand that you think that this um, this bush has overgrown too much over the sidewalk but this street doesn't have any sidewalk and because of it people are getting hit like helping people understand the incredible difference between uh, just an ordinary street that maybe maybe they wish it was a little bit better and a street that's actually on what we call the high injury street network, or a, a lot of cities have these, where people are getting r- regularly hit by cars, either car on car or car on pedestrian, car on bicycle, um, and and being able to do something about those, and so. It, it, with the work that I want to do is it's two things. It's one, like I said, I, and I'm not kidding when I say this, I want to radicalize people for safety. I want people to be so over the top enthusiastic about prioritizing safe streets, um, so that we can have healthy and delightful neighborhoods and w- then later come back and take care of the, the niceties. Like there's, there's always a way, like there's always a sidewalk that you trip over a little bit. You're like, ah, tree roots are coming through again or the the brick is broken those are real things and if if there was endless resources then it'd be great to be able to fix those things but if you only have this one bag of money and it can only go so far do you spend it on the stuff that's already pretty good or do you spend do you spend it in the places where you know this is a death trap right now if we put our investment in here this will this will greatly reduce the number of, of crashes and, you know, severe crashes and fatal crashes. And in Richmond, like this is true in, in many cities. Um, I see similar stats from um, all around the U S and I'm guessing Canada is probably the same um, where the vast majority of our serious injuries and deaths are on a tiny percent, like nine, 10% of our roads. And so, when you look at it's like the eighty twenty rule. Like, why would you spend all of your time and money on those others? Start with the start with the big ones. So that's kind of that's all about vision zero. It's about reducing um, reducing deaths and injuries. And one of the great ways of doing that is uh, things like traffic calming. And so these, you know, every if you're thinking hub and spoke, which I know you like to do, uh, it's um, vision zero at the center, and then all these kinds of things coming out of it, like. Different types of traffic calming, uh, education campaigns, enforcement, uh, all the other stuff. So yeah. it'll it'll be exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um,
0: I wanted to uh, pop on over here to the map and see, yeah, uh, you know, where we're talking about with Richmond, Virginia. So we, we we zoom out and take a look here. Oh, okay. So yeah. Just just west uh, and a little bit north of Newport News. Uh, you get Virginia Beach there. You are basically due south of Washington. Uh, fantastic. Okay, good. Uh, my sound is much better. Again, thank you so much, uh, Doug. I can always count on Doug uh, to let me know how the audio is going. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I much appreciate it. Um, so yeah, I, I totally get what you're talking about here, uh, Andy, in terms of you know the challenges that you have in front of you. And I can already tell we've got a whole bunch of strodes that you're gonna have to be dealing with as well as just some overbuilt streets in general. Um, really clarify this for me. You're talking about getting people passionate about Vision Zero and about making safer streets. Um, is your role really to do that for the community or is it within your own department and in the engineers that you're leading?
1: The, it's going to, well, it's going to be both, not just, not, I, I don't have I uh, I don't have a hard assignment to motivate peers within city hall. They're highly yeah. motivated. Okay. Um, and a couple of them are good friends for many years. Uh, and we're friends because we share this bias for walking and bicycling uh, as a as forms of transportation. Um, so that's, that's not going to be an issue at all. If I was, if I was, uh, facing a situation where inside the office, people didn't care about vision zero, then that would be a non-starter. The whole idea was like, this is, this is our thing. We know it's also your thing. Let's, let's have fun. Let's get together and do this thing. Um, no, it's, it's a lot of it's external. I mean, it's just like how, um, things that you and I used to talk about when way back when we first met at Congress for new urbanism, and then things that we both uh, write about and and post about on social media, it's just people don't understand, broadly speaking, they don't understand several very important things about the built environment. Uh, They don't understand that the built environment just generally does not fit us as human beings. And then, if they do, or when they do, realize that uh, the next thought is, "Well, that's inevitable. That's just the way it's got to be," and it doesn't. It doesn't got to be. You don't have to have a hundred dead Americans in traffic every single day of every single year. It just yeah. you just don't. Um, and so that's going to that's not easy to to help people say like I can say that till I'm blue in the face. Um, it, that's not going to just make people believe me um but that's an that's an important part of it to help people realize one things can get better in the end and then two here's how we can make things better in the end uh here's some techniques here's some tactics um and so then then it gets to the exciting part of uh all right which which of these are we going to do which combinations on these streets so it's not about you know always stops at every intersection and and now we're done or it's roundabouts at all the big street intersections and now we're done or it's bike lanes on every single road and now we're done it's it's going to be different things in different places and overlapping uh it's going to be there's going to be red light cameras there's going to be speed humps there are going to be roundabouts like all the things that i'm saying there's going to be narrower streets there's going to be 10 foot wide lanes instead of 12 foot wide lanes um transit dedicated lanes uh yeah just there's, there's a lot that can be done. Um, the challenge, the the couple of challenges around that are just one teaching people that helping them see that, you know, this really is real help the scales come off their eyes. And then two, convince them we we can do that. It's worth it. It really is worth it. I know you're going to feel inconvenience that you can't go 40 miles an hour in the 25 zone. Like you're going to, you're going to grumble a little bit about that. Um, suck it up because we're going to save lives. Like right. I don't care that you had to wait a little bit longer at a red light.
0: Yeah. And uh, and Sharon has chimed in said, "Hey, you know, the thing is that it's tricky with uh, Richmond is is got the city government, but it also has the state government is here, several surrounding counties and everyone goes everywhere. Transit is in, isn't coherent. Um yeah, I mean that's that's another huge challenge with most North American cities is, you know, they, and in some states, they don't even have control over their streets. Um, speaking to you, Idaho and Boise, uh, <laughs> yeah. but you, you know the, it's a challenge because you you do have many different stakeholders. You you've got some of those roads that are probably state-owned, quote unquote highways.
1: Yeah, and that this is the kind of thing where um, outside partners, whether it's nonprofits or HOAs or PTAs or any kind of community group, any, anything that's outside of the local government agency where they can be involved, downtown business districts, um, in helping their constituents understand what's what or what could be. So we have this, we have an area in, in Richmond called Carrytown, which has a lot of shops and is beloved. Um, there are people who have, who live and enjoy Carytown, who have one idea of what Carytown should look like. And then there are people who live way out and visit on the weekends and they have an idea of what Carytown should look like. Um, and then each will have different ideas about what the street network should look like around it. Like I should have, there should be four lanes coming in and it should go directly to a parking garage, uh, versus I should be able to walk from home to get there. Um, so there are certainly, uh, things that. like, like there's no time if, if, if city hall, if part of the public works department, and this is true in, in many places, if not all, if you're acting as a first responder for things like, um, a, a, somebody drove into a signal and the pole fell over, like that's an, you have to take care of that right now, um, before, before responding to somebody else's, uh, request. Like there's always those kinds of priorities, um, that are going to take you away. So where the nonprofits and the outside partners can help is all along, like steady drip, always be helping the community understand what could be. So it's helping teach business owners, uh, who, who are in a certain business district. Here's what we want. Here's why parking minimums, for example, uh, are, trouble. Here's what could be. Um, so getting them talking in the land use direction, here's what happens when people are exposed to, uh, incredible amounts of sound. And yes, we're in a city, but also we don't have factories in, in this river city. Uh, there's get them talking about health. Um, heart disease is number one killer. Here's what that has to do with, or here's how transportation plays a direct role in that. Here's what, Here's what kids could be doing in this area. There's all these kids that, that could walk or ride a bike to school, here's how we can make that possible and, and potentially save their lives or dramatically reduce chronic diseases. So there are all these kinds of things where I don't have to carry the or shouldn't carry the burden of all of these kinds of things. Um, I'm hopeful for other people, partners outside to always be part of this, so health departments, um, health nonprofits uh economic development types it just there's all these kinds of groups where we all benefit from great transportation from walk-friendly bike-friendly uh transportation if those things were at the center of the universe all the other stuff is so much easier it's so much easier to get reliable robust transit when when you know it's already a walk-friendly bike-friendly place yeah yeah
0: um you had uh, taken the uh the time to send over a few uh, graphics and images and, and uh, videos and one of them is here and so when, since we were just talking a little bit about safety uh let's uh, let's press play on this and you and is does this have a uh, sound to it no sound okay, so no sound uh, which to is it. you know the kind yeah. that I
1: like because then I can keep talking yeah keep talking um, <laughs> so this this is one of my favorite uh this is an incendiary one always the Uh, the hierarchy of safety controls. Um, If you want to see somebody lose their mind in seconds on social media, uh, go ahead and share this triangle, this graphic where uh, for the people just listening to audio, the hierarchy of safety um, has at the top the most effective ways of making something safe, which are eliminate conflicts altogether, eliminate them. And then all the way down to the least effective, which would be the personal protection uh, type of stuff. And so in the context of people walking and riding bikes and, and, you know, the vulnerable road users as FHWA would call them, um, the best way to protect them is to go to the top, the most effective things, elimination. Uh, What that also means is the least effective, which it's not a bad thing to, if you want to wear a bright vest, um, wear white clothes after Labor Day. I mean, I won't judge, um, but that's the least effective thing to right. keep you safe.
0: So, and 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 this comes up, this comes up in an insidious way, of course. This comes up as victim blaming, you know, for the pedestrian that's not wearing, you know, a light and bright reflective clothing and the, the the person on a bike not wearing a helmet it's like we need to be focusing on the root causes and the best way for us to do that is to go up towards elimination of those unsafe conditions and then the very very last thing to your point is the personal protective equipment that's what the PPE stands for
1: yeah there's so many I mean I do this exercise, uh, for fun because I'm a glutton for punishment yeah. online, um, once a week it, and it, but you can do this daily if you wanted to, um, yeah, if where, you wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you like the torture even more than I do, yeah. um, you see these stories about, um, a car hits a person crossing the street, they were in the crosswalk, whatever. And then, so you'll have this little blur. It's usually just three or four paragraphs. Um, the driver remained at the scene and cooperated with police and that sort of thing. And there will always be a standalone sentence that says, uh, you know, if it's a, if it's a bicyclist, they were wearing a helmet or they weren't wearing a helmet, uh, something like that. If it's a pedestrian, it'll be, um, something like if they were standing in the crosswalk or if they were, uh, wearing a hoodie, uh, if they were wearing earbuds, something like that, what you don't see. Is if you go back in time, like 30 seconds before the crash took place and you stand out there in space uh, looking at the scene, it's it's going to be two or three lanes in one direction headed toward this. If it's at an intersection at this big intersection and yes, there's an eight, there's a sidewalk, there's an ADA ramp, a curb cut and all of that doesn't matter because the street is designed for people to feel comfortable going really fast and when they go really fast they don't have enough time to react so even if they do see they they take that moment to actually not look at their phone while they're driving yeah uh they look ahead oh crap there's somebody coming like then they move to hit the brakes there's just no time and so it's like that's that's why understanding a little bit about the hierarchy of safety controls is so important because if you look at that, you shouldn't like, why even maybe, maybe a year later, look at the PPE kind of thing over, over a crash. But at the first, the first thought should be, could we have eliminated this conflict? And maybe the answer is no, but at least start there. Could this have been prevented?
0: Yeah. And this speed is, is huge. I mean, speed is, is a big part of
1: all of that. Yeah. And you've got you've got another uh, perfect graphic about that. But this this force issue, um, I think I think I made this recently because um, somebody was saying ridiculous things uh, at me about speed. And and it's it's amazing to see how people will deflect away from speed. And especially if it's an anonymous account, because if you're anonymous, what do you have to lose in changing your mind? You, you can change your mind and nobody's going to call, Oh, maybe somebody's going to call you a, a flip flopper or a hypocrite, but it doesn't matter. Cause you're anonymous. You, you are the safest person to say, Oh, you know what? I was completely wrong. Uh, physics does still in fact work. Um, but this kinetic energy, this is a really important one. Um, and actually the, at, at Richmond, the city's transportation engineer, the guy that oversees all transportation, he, He gives really good pitches about this idea of kinetic energy um, and visualizing the incredible differences between uh, just a light bump and then a severe crash. And when you see that when an ordinary person, a normie who's not working at a DOT or a public works department or a planning department, when they see that, um, it's it's a little bit shocking. Um, If you if you talk to a person about this kind of stuff in plain language, it's painfully obvious. I mean, a a child will understand if we bump elbows or we fist bump, um, it's not going to hurt. If we do that fist bump a little bit harder to the point where we're actually punching each other in the knuckles, you're going to be like, ow, that hurt. Uh, if you, you you kind of keep ramping that up. Yes. We all understand that the, the more of this kinetic energy, uh, the more dangerous the outcome is going to be. And, so, as transportation professionals, let's absolutely look for ways to remove or reduce that kinetic energy. I mean, that that's plain as day. We can argue and should debate about which methods to use in which applications. Like, does this street need this kind of application or does this other thing? Does it need a road diet? Does it need a bump out? Uh, although, from, if we're talking road diets, I'm going to say, how much of a road diet does it need? Not if. Yeah. Um, but all these questions—they—they they come around to how do we how do we slow things down? How we calm things down in populated uh, areas? And one of the most frustrating um, pushbacks—and this is not only a social media pushback—people will say this in real life: uh, that if you are calming things down that like that, then you must be anti-car ban the car like you're the same kind of person who's going to super glue themselves to art um, and it, it's just it's a leap that some people cannot be reached and right. I, I got to be okay with that some some people yeah. cannot be reasoned with yeah, yeah,
0: That's, it's true. Uh, Victor Dover has a comment here for uh, for you. He says, you're a silo buster, Mr. Keep <laughs> Busting Them Silos. And uh, Dove, Doug has a, a comment here. He's like, if you can, try to educate local government chamber, the rotary, uh, then exercise political muscle with less enlightened neighboring community, your country, your state, etc. cetera. Uh, sounds like a, a good mantra there, uh, Doug, that is really... I guess part of what I tried to emphasize here on the channel and when people say, well, what do we do? How can we do it? It's like get engaged, do something, start talking with your neighbors, start really moving this forward because as what you were pointing out earlier about growing the masses and increasing the awareness and trying to, uh, you know, increase the size of the tent of the people who understand this, the only way that we're going to be able to really put pressure on our city state municipal, you know, even federal officials and leaders, is for the community to be there, for people stepping up and saying, you know, hey, 100 plus people dying per day on our roadways is not acceptable we can do better than this. Vision Zero is a real thing. It's, you know, there are plenty of cities, even in North America, as well as, uh, you know, countries that are making huge steps towards eliminating these entirely uh, inherently preventable crashes. The other great thing about speed, in addition to what we were just talking about here uh, with kinetic energy, is the crash that never happened because the slower speeds helped you know, that crash be completely avoided. So
1: Yeah. And that, that issue that, uh, Doug is bringing up, um, and, and, and what you're riffing on that public opinion is something that's, that I've been fascinated with for, for a long, long time. I mean, I've been, uh, world war two posters, you know, I started it for me and then advertising. Um, I've told, I've probably talked about this on your show before that, um, my idea of a fun beach read is, uh, in in advertising execs bio like David Ogilvy, or somebody like that. Like, how is it that we do that the people's words and, and images can so capture me and you to make a decision? Like, and so it's not just true with buying stuff, but it includes buying stuff. But as, so that, that was kind of a side interest of mine. And then in my professional work, you know, like any planner or engineer would tell you, public involvement, public engagement is a, is a big part of it. And sometimes the role is to teach people. It's, it's to help them understand why you're taking this quest. Why vision zero? What, what's the point? And then other times it's to, it's to persuade. It's to say like, we have, we have these two options. I'm hoping for this one, uh, but they are, there are two options. They're both, they both have good outcomes. So that's, a, that's more about persuasion. Um, mm-hmm. And this, I've wrestled with this for a long time because I, I I enjoy public engagement. I get, I was, I thought I was lucky as a junior traffic engineer um, to get thrown into public meetings where my job was to, um, you know, use silly putty to put posters up on the walls of the middle schools on Wednesday nights for those lame meetings that we've all been to at some point. Um, but I, I couldn't believe that my job, like they were saying, well, we, we need you to stand at this table and, and listen to people. And I was like, yeah. just, that's it. I, I just talk to strangers. You're going to pay me to talk to strangers. I, I knew it. I knew this could be a job anyway. <laughs> you, like that, that kind of, uh, that kind of work I, I enjoyed because I just, I didn't know anything about anything. And so I'm asking people questions about where they're trying to go. And um, without without trying to guide them towards an answer, just asking questions to get them talking. And these these ideas around public opinions and and motivations for doing things. I would be involved in a project where the same project, same slideshow, um, you know, same same design, same fonts in one group, you would have kind of rabid supporters we yes we needed this yesterday fantastic can't wait to see it built and then that same presentation would be delivered to another group and they'd be like i can't believe you did this without my permission i can't like where what why wasn't this uh brought to my attention two years ago when the project started and it's just combative and they don't like anything and so i would wrestle with these things how is it that first i learned a bit about how to give an effective presentation how to do good slide design I thought I achieved it and then I gave that same thing over here and it had a different outcome. Like, why is that? And um, so there it's, it's complicated. I mean, none of it's as easy as uh, humans are illogical. Like we make silly decisions uh, or um, uh, humans cannot be like old dogs can't be taught new tricks. Like there, you can say plenty of one liners that have some application and and are based in truth, but but these the bigger ideas around how how are we persuaded and how do we form ideas and what can, what do we do about that? um And it's to the point where now my next project uh, or before this first one is or this one that's on the table uh, with the documentary is even done. I'm thinking ahead to um, a trilogy of books that I need to. Uh, I'm not writing them from scratch, but I'm going to update and. And expand on them. There are a hundred-year-old books that get into this so deeply. Um, and and I I'm gonna expand it to help people understand how our silly brains do the things that they do, and not to tell you, here's how to get a bike lane out of John or you know, that kind of thing, but to help people understand here's how our here's how we form opinions and how we can be persuaded. Here's And here are some applications to demonstrate how it's been done over the last hundred years. Um, and so one guy I've been very familiar with was uh, Edward Bernays, who is, uh, I'm, I became familiar with him because he wrote a book in 1928 called propaganda. And so the name alone, of course, drew me. And he is famous for being the father of public relations and um, probably most notorious because he was buddy-buddy with um, uh, Woodrow Wilson and totally fine with bloodshed overseas. Uh, But the thing that's important about Edward Bernays, nephew of Sigmund Freud, he was understanding how to apply psychology to advertising and so he did things like he got he made it uh socially acceptable pretty much single-handedly made it socially acceptable for women to smoke in public yeah. and like when he, there's so many ways of looking at that like it's twisted it's incredible like but that's just one example there's so many examples he later famously worked for some um auto auto manufacturers but he's so he's one important person but then behind or before him if i went backwards uh or even even before him um or still with edward bernays in in uh, about 5 years before he wrote that book he wrote another one that i came across called crystallizing public opinion and i I thought, okay, this is a good one. I, I'm gonna enjoy this because this is pro- this is probably like the B side. If propaganda is like the top forty hit, then this crystallizing public opinion book, it looked a little choppy. Like maybe that's the B side that only a true fan's gonna know about. So I read that one, and it kept pointing back to this other guy I'd never heard of, Walter Lippmann. Turns out Walter Lippmann is the father of modern uh, um, journalism, or the, 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 the title that's been. I don't know if he adopted it, but people talk about him as the father of modern journalism. He wrote a book in 1921 called Public Opinion. And he just goes kind of scientifically, but throwing anecdotes and then uh, wartime stories from World War One about how people – draw conclusions. And he he goes very deep into all of these things that have just as much application today as they did over a hundred years ago. And so while, even though he's talking about things like the newspaper and newsmen and, um, the, the young boys selling newspapers on the street corners, but the points behind it are still completely true today about how headlines were synthesized, how journalists decide what to report and what not to report, um, how we form stereotypes, why stereotypes are important, how they can be used. And so what I want to do is take these things from two people, two men who, in a lot of ways, were awful people um, because so much of their work led to literal destruction, but then also just social calamity. I mean, they they did a lot of their stuff just had really, really terrible outcomes. Um, No matter what you think about the built environment, it's just not great people, but their understanding of human minds and how psychology impacts all the things we do, whether it's advocating for land use reform or transportation policy or traffic calming, anything like that, it goes back to understanding what makes people tick, how they form their opinions, and what to do about it. And I, I think that, if anything, is that that might be the biggest oversight by planners and engineers. Um, just how important it is to understand how people form their opinions and what to do with that information. So I'm not interested in telling people. What to do next? But I am very interested in helping people see, look, this is this is how it is. Like this has yeah. been known for a long time and uh, and update and expand uh, that trilogy of books. so yeah, that'll be well, that'll until be until
0: you until you actually get to the point where you're writing that book. I really encourage everybody to uh, go out and get this book, uh, Dark PR: How Corporate Disinformation um, Harms and uh, Our Health and Our Environment. And um, and and Grant Ennis, uh, who also had has been on the uh, podcast here in the past, uh, he he goes into that history with Bernays and 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 that whole story of of how he was very instrumental in that. We're we're actually at the hour point at this point in time I knew this was gonna happen we we're gonna like Who run knew out we of could time. talk so much um do you have just a, a, a couple more minutes to talk yes. a little bit about your um your uh your your project that you did because so, we had this image up here and so this is you sort of like you know, probably a few years ago, you really started peeking into my world of public health, and you know the impact that the the health has with the built environment, and it, it's it's a challenging area because disease does not sell really. I mean, everybody wants to be healthy, and you know we we end up you know getting this this connection between oh gee you know if walkable, bikeable communities are good for people why is it that it's so hard to do it? And then we find out, oh yeah, our zoning codes and our, our, our other types of things that we have that are working against us, you know, looking at some of those guidebooks that we were talking about earlier. And so you just, you just sort of went off the deep end and, uh, you know, really, uh, decided, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to do a documentary. <laughs> so you did what's the what's the the status on the documentary what uh, i i'm i'm putting words in your mouth a little bit i'm not sure exactly what prompted you to do it but yeah what's the no uh, it is it's back
1: it's kind of like that that um meme that you showed because it's Mm -hmm. it has been on my mind for several years it's been on the idea book in different forms this this idea of health and infrastructure um Mm -hmm. and there are a couple of different catalysts that um for it, one one was uh, a YouTube video that was shared with me. That's I think this video is probably ten years old now, but where a um, an orderly or a nurse helps a Parkinson's patient outside of the hospital. He can barely walk. He's kind of collapsing wall walk, just shuffling down the hallway. They get him outside. They get him on a bicycle, and he's able to effortlessly ride a bicycle around the building and then back. And they catch him and they take him off, and he can't walk. Um, and then this idea of social prescribing, which is, uh, doctors writing prescriptions for things that aren't pills. So writing a prescription to take dance lessons, to go for a walk, to ride a bike once a day. And I'm looking at these things, one excited, like, yeah, that's cool. I can't believe doctors are doing that. That's great. Right. And then two thinking, uh, if I get a prescription for that, I'm going to look outside and be like, how am I going to fill this prescription? I can't. Yeah. I can't possibly fill this prescription if I'm everywhere USA. And yeah. so I, I started digging into more over the last couple of years, the connections between our mental health and physical health and the built environment, because I know from my traffic engineering background and you know land use and urban planning, I know the mechanisms that make places awful or delightful. Um, but I didn't realize just how bad it was for our minds and bodies. And so my, my take on physical health was traffic safety. It was, if you get banged up, that's bad for your body, that's physical health or something obvious. Maybe like if you live on a sidewalk, then you're gonna, you're gonna inhale a lot of bad stuff. And that's bad like pollution. Um, but I had a very naive, um, understanding of, of these other aspects. And so the, I think the, the ones that hit me hardest, um, or, well, two groups, one would be, uh, that heart disease being the number one killer has, there's so many things that if you were to just be able to not go to the gym every day, but if some of your ordinary errands were able to be walking casually or riding a bicycle, not for exercise, but just moving through space at a, at a decent pace, uh, those numbers come way down. And then the other is, um, I'll group them together, even though they're not the same, anxiety and depression at any age. uh, It's especially concerning for parents now about um, teenage anxiety and teenage depression in the US, but the just regular movement and, and interacting with other people. Like the combination of those two things is so powerful that some people are able to totally come off of medications and this like any, I mean, traffic calming gets people on fire, so does this, like this, and this is part of why I decided to pursue it because uh, I will run into a burning building uh, with some topics and this is one of those things, like if, if I think it's like there's something really important in there, let's go get it. And that, that mental health aspect of, um, our built environment. It's so, is so important. And it hasn't, I hadn't seen it unpacked. There's now there's a blue zone series on, uh, on Netflix, which I haven't gotten into yet, but that's the closest thing. Like nobody's there's, there's so much academic work done on the links between land use infrastructure and our health, but not in this way. So what I wanted to do was make, um, a documentary that could, connect those dots for people. And so while I'm on my quest to do a a full length documentary, uh, I ended up making a short version, a 20 minute version. That's it's, well, I shouldn't say a version. I, I it's totally separate. It stands alone, but it highlights the conflict points, um, that I was finding. And then what's been really fun with this, with the documentary project is taking that on the road. And so, uh, one of your fantastic, um, uh, viewers, Victor Dover was, um, gracious enough to be the first, um, gambler, uh, host of a local event where we do, we were doing screening projects. And so I've got, um, events now where his was the first in Miami with the university of Miami and some other folks, uh, where we watch the film together. We watched a 20 minute thing and we talk about it and network a little bit. And it's been fantastic. We've done this, I've done this with a handful of people now. Um, Most recent one was up in Rhode Island and um, seeing different groups of people talk about these things. different groups as in different focus groups. So uh, landscape architects and and urban designers, public health people, economic development people, um, bicycle infrastructure people, like they each have their own focus. And so I'm not trying to get a room full of the total cross-section of the of the world all at one time i'm purposefully setting up these screening events where it's a niche audience at a time and i can Mm -hmm. expose this niche audience to these issues of health and infrastructure so that's that's where it's at right now
0: okay cool and and obviously these things take a long, long time as, as you well know, now that you've been into this, uh, it, it, it's, it's measured in years, not in months or weeks uh, to pull together a project such as this. Um, I'm assuming now that you have a real job,
1: <laughs> uh, you don't hey, have unlimited it's time. Too. Uh, yeah. It's so the, the only, the only hangups have been schedules. Uh, yeah. cause I like I'm writing it and, and, I am always writing I'm never not writing and so yeah. um that's that's not the hang up it's it's getting uh, a few schedules because there there's some very there's some, there's some wild stories personal stories that need to be told yeah. one in particular um who I, I mean I I tell people the teaser line that she said new urbanism saved my life yeah. and she's not her background is not design or architecture or planning or engineering um she was a combat veteran. So there, there's some, some really interesting stories, powerful stories, uh, that, that connect these things that I can't wait for people to see. And
0: and Sharon's got a a story right here too, as well. She shared that, you know, there's a, a Ted talk by uh, Tony something or other, uh, where, you know, cycling, uh, included a, a segment on Parkinson's and all of that. But she also continued to say that, you know, that Tony, um, was able to, uh, nearly completely you know, heal his Crohn's disease just by again, cycling, getting physical activity in, which is your point earlier, is that relatively low amounts of physical activity done uh daily is so essential to our, our health and well being. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier is we need to make it easier. We need to be able to design our cities, you know, and and you know, Victor, who, who's out there in the audience, he and his firm are doing a good job of helping plan out towns and, and communities that are more walkable and bikeable and have access to uh, critical activity assets such as parks and, you know, have tree, tree-lined tree canopies, uh, you know, on the streets that make it more pleasant for people to be able to, to live that healthy lifestyle. You mentioned writing, and one of the other things that you do is you have a long-standing uh, uh, you know, blog that you do talk a little bit about, uh, the urbanism speakeasy with Andy bano and that'll close us out for the evening.
1: Well, John, that is the, the thing that everybody should be reading. That's, that's what it is.
0: That's, um, this is it. Everybody yeah. should be reading this. Yes. Um, and it's got
1: good graphics
0: too. I mean, look, we've got the, <laughs> we've got the the guy down here, the dream reaper with the cyber truck.
1: <laughs> It started. So 10 years ago, hard to believe 10 years ago as a interview podcast. Um, that's when urbanism speakeasy began, but, uh, just the time commitment of, as you know, uh, with interviews, um, is just much easier to to keep it up as, as a written project. But yeah, um, I post regularly here and substack's fantastic. It's a, it's a great platform. Um, and I'll be adding in, in the new year, a uh, a new podcast how we get around which is interview based again um and it's very focused on transportation um and what i enjoy in that same same that i do with urbanism speakeasy is finding those contrarian points of view not for the sake of being a contrarian but to get people thinking um about trade-offs one of my favorite quotes is The economist Thomas Sowell says there are no solutions, only trade-offs. And so whether it's something like the Cybertruck or uh, technology that allows us to defrost our windshield, or it's a bike light, or it's a shoe that helps you walk further, (laughs) whatever it is, like there is loads of technology that has trade-offs and and trade-offs can be good or not good. Um, And so whether it's transportation, it's land use, it's health- um i'm interested in human flourishing and so that's what you'll find there it's 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 in yeah. that direction and that con the content is all in that direction like how can what's keeping us from getting there and how do we get rid of those roadblocks so that we can have happy healthy delightful communities
0: yeah I will get to one question that, uh, that we missed from earlier, and that was from Doug as well. Um, uh, he's asking if you have any thoughts on tactical urbanism, uh, a, aka DIY urbanism planning by doing urban a- ap- acupuncture and urban prototyping.
1: What say you? Doug, the answer is yes. yes i have i have thoughts about this uh also the longer version is um or this is a long i'll give you i'll give you longer versions uh on twitter so tweet at john and me um and and i'll give you more on this but it's an absolutely important part of uh getting projects done it's just uh, in richmond we've got a new program called lighter quicker cheaper i think it's called um same kind of thing it, it should never take the place entirely of long-term permanent stuff, right. but there's so much that you can demonstrate or just try out. If you don't know how it's going to work, try it out. Um, it's kicking the tires uh, to ab- keep abusing transportation puns. Um, yeah, it, it, the, Yeah, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll leave it at that. It, it has a very, very important role.
0: Yeah, and, and, and we both know Mike Lydon uh, quite well, um, you know, who wrote the book along with Garcia on, uh, you know, tactical urbanism. And, yeah, it's it's absolutely essential, I think, to be able to help communities be able to get their hands on uh, some of these demonstration projects so that they can actually see them. Uh, some of them can be formal that, you know, and even city sponsored, as well as some of them can be guerrilla activities uh, that are are more on the uh, the sort of the edge, if you will. Yeah. Good stuff. Paint at night. Yes. Paint at night sort of thing. Andy, always wonderful catching up. Thank you so much for doing this live stream with me.
1: Likewise. It was great to see you, John. I will talk with you soon.
0: Fantastic! And hey, uh, everybody who has tuned in and joined us on the chat, thank you so very much. Uh, really appreciate you doing so. Uh, thanks for, for the, all the thumbs up, uh, you know, to the video. Really, really appreciate that. If you have any comments, please leave a comment in the comments down below. If you are active out on Twitter slash X, whatever we want to call the dang thing, uh, be sure to at us and uh, you know keep that conversation going. We can make a difference, and I really do appreciate uh, this conversation with you, sir.
1: Great. Talk to you later, John. Bye. Okay.
0: Cheers.